0: So, if you don't know that one, you clearly have never been to most funerals, uh, you don't live in America, you've, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty, pretty well-known, probably the most popular psalm uh, out there, out of the 150, so it's a... Uh, pretty staple for, for all of us, which makes it really challenging to teach on because everybody has taught on it at some point. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's get into it. This is Psalms chapter 23, uh, the shepherd psalm. Um, it's probably an early psalm, possibly written by David during the death of one of his children. Um some others think it's it's meant to be a a pilgrimage psalm meant for traveling to the tabernacle, uh, but it clearly carries some very uh, distinct messianic statements about who Messiah is to be, and specifically for us, who Jesus is to us. Um, there's it breaks down in a couple different ways. You have the the first Three verses about rest and provision of God. Uh, The next uh, four and five about overcoming fear in our lives. And then just our faithful hope that God is a faithful God and we have a hope to go for. Um, The other breakdown you can see in the verse is the first half of it talks about the shepherd that we walk with. Whereas the second half is about my host that I dwell and abide in. That is, Jesus is is bringing us into uh, the house of the Lord. Anyway, let's just jump into verse one. Um, verse one says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." Each verse actually relates to a characteristic of God. This would be Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider, uh, and and you'll notice that the psalm starts and ends with this statement referring to the Lord um, as Jehovah. The rest of them are he, uh, wow. thy, they're secondary, but the beginning and end start that way. Um, Matthew nine thirteen says he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when we're separated from God, that's where we are. We're harassed. We're helpless. We're, we're unable to fend for ourselves spiritually, and, and we're left in destitute. John 10, Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. So he identifies with his character, and he says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He goes on in verse 14 to say, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. What does the shepherd do? You know, when you think of a shepherd, you think of the herd that he's holding together. And that's us. His purpose is to draw us to each other. Into a family. You know, so often... We think about God drawing me or us individually, but there's a much bigger picture going on here. He is drawing us to each other and holding us together. He's the means and the only reason most of us relate to each other. We don't interact in, in a lot of common situations. A lot of us have very different lives, but he draws us together together. And brings unity to us in a in a unique way. He provides for and he cares for us. Um, the herd understands and, and follows the lead of the pastor of the the flock um, of the uh, their provider. Uh, Philippians four says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. Matthew Henry said. I should be supplied with whatever I need. And if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it's either not fit for me, it's not good for me, or I shall have it in due time. And that's a right attitude. You know, we often have all kinds of desires. And and we're like, well, why don't I have this? Sometimes it's just not good for you to have it, even though. It may be something good. And and in certain contexts, that's fine. It may be good for you in those contexts. But he gives us what we need when we need it, not before. And he tries to keep us from things that we don't need. <laughs> Interesting, this idea of I shall not want can also be reflected of Daniel. Uh, when you have the writing on the wall, he says, you've been weighed in the balances and you've found wanting. There is a, a lack of moral character. There is a, a lack of, of any character for that king in particular. And, and he says, you have missed the whole point of life. And you're found wanting. When we follow the shepherd, we don't lack that. We don't have that want. We're not destitute. Hmm. It's Christ that provides and covers us, makes us usable for the kingdom. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Beside quiet waters, this is Jehovah Shalom, the God that is my peace. He makes me. Interesting, lying down for sheep can can relate to the process of, of shearing. You know, to be made to lie down. You know, have you ever watched some guys shear sheep? They grab sheep, throw them down, <laughs> and start working on them. It's a forced thing. And... I, I get that picture when I read this. He makes me lie down. I, I'm not sure what he's doing. I'm a little <laughs> unsure about this. But but as he does it, I realize, oh, oh, he's working on me in this way. And, and it's, it's going to produce something that I'm going to enjoy, right? For, for the sheep, to shear a sheep, they have all this excess burden of their, their uh, fleece. And he's, the shepherd is removing that from you. There's all kinds of things uh, that as, as that's grown have, have just started living in those fleece, like fleas or lice, whatever. And he's like, I just want to get rid of those burdens for you. The other idea is often when that happens, you also get branded or tagged. And that's not a pleasant experience for the sheep. But it identifies you. And there's a place where we need to be identified with Christ, despite the pain that it requires to take that identity. Sheep won't lie down on their own when they're anxious or worried. They won't lie down until they're satisfied and filled. And I think that speaks to the reason why all through Scripture it says, fear not, don't be afraid, don't worry, I'm with you. I am here. He makes us, he prepares us to lie down in green pastures. Interesting, one of the the pictures that that I think is a typology of this whole story is the feeding of the 5,000. You you see that that's in every gospel. And Jesus sees the people and he calls them and he says, go, let's have them all sit down in a place where there was much grass. And then he proceeds to feed them physically. And interesting, right after that, what does he do? He takes the disciples and tells them to walk across the water. And he is walking on the water beside them. He leads them beside the paths of still waters. He calms the sea, tells them, I'm here. I'm with you. You thought you were afraid and you thought you were struggling against the wind at this point, but he was there the whole time. I think it's a beautiful picture. Um, these green pastures often we get the imagery of, of the Irish beautiful lands of, of green pastures, but in, in Israel they're not so lush and green. Now we've they've developed some irrigation in the last few years to make that happen, but probably in David's time that wasn't the case. A green pasture in those times had to do with the Mediterranean and the moisture of the Mediterranean coming off the sea and and getting just enough moisture on the side of the hill that patches of grass would grow. And so the imagery here may not be God brings me to this lush banqueting place, but he takes me through the desert and he leads me to where there's just enough for me to feed on. And he provides exactly what we need when we need it. And that's what God does. He doesn't always just give us everything in front of us and say, hey, good times. He says, I will give you exactly what you need when you need it. But you have to follow me and trust me in the moment. The image provides this this desperateness that we need to have as his followers that just cling to the, the shepherd. John six thirty five says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes me shall never thirst. Sheep won't actually drink from stagnant waters when they're just sitting still and, and stagnant. They don't drink from that because they realize that there could be Giardia or, or other parasites in stagnant water. Whereas they also won't drink from rushing water that's too fast. So the shepherd brings them to a place where it's just the right conditions for them to take what they need so that they can continue through the desert. And that's what God does for us. Just Exactly what you need when you need it. He says in chapter seven of, of John. it says, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. Revelation seven seventeen says he'll guide them. Two springs of water. Interesting. It's not necessarily Himself that He's guiding them to. He's guiding them to those who can bring overflowing Spirit into their lives. That's us. We are to be those who overflow with the Spirit, that God is gathering together. So that we can touch each other's lives. On the other side. There's also the word. That the spirit draws us to. That becomes that overflowing. Because if we're not. Filled with the, with the spirit. We're, we're not driven to the word. And the word doesn't flow out of us. He makes us. Lie down. In his pasture, with each other, filled with his spirit, and rest in him. Verse 3 says, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is Jehovah Rapha. He is my healer, the one who who restores my life. For uh, many uh, sheep, they can actually fall down. And when when they still have a full fleece, that fleece, if it gets wet, the weight of it literally will hold them down. They can't stand up on their own. They get flipped over, and the shepherd will go watching for sheep that have fallen over. And intentionally, when he finds them, he'll lift them up and help them up. Often they have lost all circulation because, you know, they're upside down often. And he has to massage that life back into them to, to even walk again. That's what God does to us. He restores life. Second Corinthians says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And that's what he's doing for us. It's not just about this physical body. It's about the inner man that needs to be revived and needs to be brought to life. And sometimes we initially need just life, but sometimes we just need revival sometimes. That's what God is bringing to us. But we have to gather together and stay in the flock and follow him intimately. The other uh, word for God here is, is Jehovah. This is God, my righteousness. What does he do? He guides us in paths of righteousness. Matthew 7 says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And we so often want to follow those other paths. He goes on in chapter 18 says to say, the good shepherd leaves his flock to search out the lost sheep and rejoices when he restores them. That's his goal, to restore us back to fellowship with each other, back to relationship with him and intimacy, closer walk with him. We serve a God whose desire is to restore. And we should have that same heart to bring others together and bring them along with us. First Peter 2.25 says, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. See this parallel going on. One is God, Jesus, is searching you out and drawing you back. And on the other side, you have returned. You've recognized your need and come to him. And there's, a, there's a, a, a working together that happens, that we have a, a need to seek the Lord, and at the same time, the Lord is seeking us. You see that working together? Verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. This is Jehovah Shema, the God who is present. He's with us. He meets us in our need. The situation that that I'm in doesn't necessarily change the position that I hold. I am a part of the flock. But it seems a little hopeless at times. Here, the walk is through the valley. And, And the idea, you know, is that we're about to climb the mountain of death. We're in the shadow of it. We haven't gone up it yet. But that's where he's taking us. God is taking us through this life, and his plan is for us to die for him and with him. That's the call. And yes, it's a shadow that, that we're not sure if we can make it. But he's there beside us, taking us where his plan is to take us, up the mountain. But it's a shadow, right? 1 Corinthians 15 says, death has been swallowed up in victory. And so the image that we have is a conquering of this life conquering of death, just as Christ has done to lead us to that, so that we can overcome that fear, knowing that, that it's not just ending there. He's bringing us to something else. Interesting, at this point, he changes the, uh, the um, he goes from, He restores me. He guides me to thy rod, thy staff. It's about you, Lord. You're doing it. It's not just this description of God and and the shepherd who's doing these things. He recognizes I now intimately know him. And I can talk directly to him because he's leading me. But I trust you. I'm not looking to the other sheep. Because they fail and they wander off and they do stupid stuff. I have to follow the shepherd. Because he's the leader, not the other sheep. What does he do? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He's a God of comfort. And what's the rod for? It's a weapon to protect us against the evil of the world. But it also is a instrument of correction. When those sheep get out of the line, sometimes he has to pull them back. Sometimes he has to redirect them. Hebrews says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked by him. For... Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. There's a place where God is correcting us so that we can be led into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The staff is also used to just pull them out of trouble sometimes. You know, things fall down the hill and you, you can't get to them and you have the little staff to pull them up. Other times, they actually use the rod to separate the, the fleece so he can search through it and see if there's, there's injuries inside uh, on the skin. And you have to lay down to do that, Right. To let him address you. And then he anoints it with oil. To help heal what's going on there. Verse 5 says. Thou dost prepare a table for me. In the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. And my cup overflows. This is Jehovah Mikdash, The one who sanctifies. Who sets me apart for a purpose. Matthew 14 um, Back to the feeding of the 5,000. What was going on just before the feeding of the 5,000? Herod had just killed John the Baptist. The whole community is going through this fear and anxiety of, hey, they're killing the prophet. Where where do we stand as a country, as people? There is There's some really insecure people in this crowd. And he says, let me comfort you. Let me sit you down and lead you despite the shadow of death around us. And I'm going to provide for you in the midst of that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Despite the fear. Despite the political and sociological climate. He says, I'm here with you. And I'm going to provide you with this great abounding meal. You know, during the uh, spring, shepherds would actually leave their flocks with an uh, under-shepherd. And they'd go out and they'd prepare the fields because there was – some things that the sheep can't eat so they'll go search out you know different uh dangerous things that that could be an issue for them and he prepares the field for them he prepares a way through he marks the path to get them to the right field so now that he's found it he can get them back In preparation for his own death, he tells his disciples in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. That When I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you can be also. And so currently, we're in that position where he is preparing a table for us and we are looking forward to feeding on that with him often in the spring they would they would deal with parasites and bugs and, and anoint the uh sheep with oil just to to keep them from being you know frustrated by whatever was in their fleece there were certain bugs that would, would actually lay eggs around their, their nasal cavity because there was moisture there. And the larva would, would hatch and climb into their nostril uh, passages and then drive the sheep insane. And so they would anoint the, the head to keep that from happening. And the reality is there are lots of little things in our lives that can really easily drive us all insane. But we need the anointing of the Spirit to keep us from going insane by them. At the same time, during the mating season, rams are are they smear um, a greasy oil on on the head and and the the, the beginning of the horns because they start. Uh, violently attacking each other because of territorial and, and the, the obvious issues of mating season. And, and it becomes that this protection against violence of each other. And, and we can be that. We can easily get some pride and end up hurting one another. Or being hurt by each other, and we need that anointing to guard us from the injury. Because what what happens with the sheep? Instead of hitting each other, and and they can kill each other this way. Instead of that, they just kind of slide off. It's like the uh, the the grease when you um, when you're Boxing. They put a little bit of grease on their face so when they get hit, it kind of semi glances off <laughs> and hopefully minimizes the damage. That's the idea. That we need that anointing to minimize the damage that we do to each other because we're stupid cheap <laughs> and we do some ignorant things. And we need to be protected from each other. And we need God's grace and his love and his forgiveness so that we can be that to each other. To guard ourselves against one another. And this anointing has to do with setting apart with protection and provision being set apart that the spirit can use you despite the situations that you're in, despite yourself. And we serve a God that is generous in that. So much so that our cup overflows. And that's who we're to be, overflowing with what he's given us. Verse six says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is Jehovah Nisi. He is the banner over me. He's the house under whom I dwell. The Hebrew text actually reads a little different. It says, I return to the house of the Lord forever. This is a continually returning to the house, right? It's, it's not only looking forward to it, but presently abiding in it and constantly refreshing in the house. 2 Corinthians says we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, presently awaiting our arrival is the idea. And, and we should be looking forward to that house that he's built for us, that he's preparing for us, that banqueting table that we are, we are being brought to. But 1 Peter 2 says, you also are as living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. You are the stones of that building. You are the building being brought up to be powerful and secure in the house. Hebrews 3 says we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. We are the He's the foundation, but we are the building being built up. Where is the house that you will build for me? I will dwell in the house of the Lord, not just till the end, but forever. That's exciting. We are already in the house. By dwelling together in unity, we have entered into the house to become those building stones already. It's here that we're to dwell in unity and together out of our house is supposed to follow goodness and loving kindness as it says in verse 6 we flow loving kindness to those around us we are those living waters to feed those around us through the spirit flowing through our lives now The question becomes, is that your witness? Is that what's happening in your life? Or do you need a fresh anointing today? Do you need him to touch you in a special way for the first time or again? So that you can overflow with what he's given you. Are those living waters saturating the people around you? I challenge you. Ask him to fill you today. Because we all need that fresh, fresh water flowing from us. It doesn't need to be stagnant, which it can get for all of us. And it doesn't need to be like this over energy that scares the rest of the flock needs to be a gentle stream, a constant stream of the spirit moving through you. Father, I pray that you would anoint us today with your streams of water, your spirit flowing through us, that we would be your ambassadors to this dead and dying world, that we would be the vision of love kindness. To the people around us. That you would anoint us to be people of grace and mercy. Where it's not deserved. Thank you for all you're doing Lord. In Jesus name.